All right. We're wrapping up our series on the original women that we read about in the Bible. And we are going to end with the story of the woman with the alabaster box. Now, this is a story that Pastor Rob just taught out of in his, the last sermon he preached in our Reclaiming the Table series. So this should be fresh in your memory if you were with us that weekend at church. But it's, it comes out of the, of the book of Luke, uh, chapter 7. So let's read the story. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her hair, wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. And she kissed his feet and she anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one to whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All right, we are going to talk today about our response to God. And we're going to illustrate it with these three curtains that are behind me. So specifically, the response we'll be talking about is thanksgiving, praise, and worship. So we're going to begin by putting some quick definitions to these words. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the act of expressing gratitude for favors or mercies. All right, so when we are here, when we thank God, we recognize what God has done, and we respond with gratitude. So we can see a blessing in our lives. We see God healed, he provided, he answered a prayer, he gave us guidance or wisdom. Whatever the case may be, there was a blessing God gave us. We see it, we recognize it, and then we respond with thanksgiving, with gratitude. All right, now how about praise? Praise is defined as commendation that is bestowed upon a person for his personal virtues. It means to boast, to rave, to celebrate someone. All right, so 
here, when we praise God, the gratitude for what God did brings us to a place of discovering who God is. So see, I understand that God healed me because he is the healer. See, he provided because he is provider. God gave good gifts because he's good. He lavishes us with love because he is love. So see, what I noticed that God did over here, here I am now recognizing something about his nature, something about his virtue. And then in my response, I begin to rave and celebrate and boast about how great my God is. All right, so that's praise. How about worship? Worship means to adore, to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission as a lover. Worship is motivated by an attitude that reveres, honors, or describes God's worth. Now, this word worth is key to, to defining worship because worship literally means worth-ship. You are ascribing, you are recognizing and expressing the worth of God. See, worship is not a feeling. It's not something that's only done in church. It's not something that is only done through singing or through song. Worship is an expression of, of giving God virtue, recognizing and noticing his worth. We said it involves complete devotion to the Lord, extravagant love, and submission. I submit my will to God's will in worship. Now, here's what we under, need to understand. We can be here, and we can recognize what God has done and, and offer him thanksgiving for it without ever really reaching that level of devotion. And many people do. We can also be here, and we can understand that God is amazing. We can recognize his nature. We can celebrate his virtues without ever really fully submitting our will to his will. And again, many people do. But if you're going to be here, it's all in. Or it isn't really worship. Now, Vine's dictionary tells us that the worship of God is nowhere defined in Scripture. And that is because if the Bible were to paint the picture of what perfect worship looked like, what would we do? Would we, we would follow it, wouldn't we? Like to the letter. We would turn it into exactly the opposite of what it really is. See, we would, we would create a ritual. It, it would be formula. We'd start checking boxes, and then we would believe that we worshiped God. Judson Cornwell put it this way. He said, if the Bible defined worship as bowing with your nose to the ground, we would bow with our nose to the ground. But we would not be worshiping, we would be smelling the carpet. <laughs> Do you know, describing, de defining worship is as difficult as describing love. It, there are just some things, some words that are, they're too big, it, they're too profound to try and confine them to my ability to put words to them. And worship is such a word. See, it's an expression of adoration. There are more than one way to do that. There isn't a formula. All right, now that said, we do have some guidelines in worship. Let's look at Psalm 100, verse 4. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him 
and bless his name. Now, this is a very clear but often ignored protocol for having an audience with God. And we need to stop ignoring it. We are told here that we enter God's presence with gratitude, with thanksgiving. All right, now how would you feel if you invited me to your home and then you stood at the front door ready to greet me and I came up your walk, walked right past you and around to the back door of your house and tried to come in through some other way? Would you not be annoyed with me? Well, the door we have been invited through to have an audience with Almighty God is the door of gratitude. And we need to stop ignoring that. That means we don't begin our conversations with God by complaining, okay? And we don't, also don't begin our conversations with him by reminding him of that need we have, that we need his attention. Now, we can get to that stuff. God will talk through those things with us. But the Bible is clear. We come into his presence with an attitude of gratitude. And no matter what you are going through, there is always, always, always something to be thankful for. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this. When we enter God's presence with, with this attitude, we're the ones who end up benefiting. See, this is why God instructs us to do it this way. Do you know when you come to him in your mindset, you come to him and you've got stuff going on in your life and things that you need God to help you with, but you come and the first thing you do is say, God, I just want to recognize what you've already done. Thank you for it. See, now where did my mind go? Off my problems and onto the faithfulness of God. Yes. See, suddenly all those things that I came in with, I'm less impressed with them. The lies that the enemy is trying to get me to believe, they lose their power. I'm too focused on what God has done. And then that leads me into a place of being, recognizing and, and understanding who God is. He is faithful. I recognize that as I begin to praise him. Now, you do that for any length of time, you're eventually going to begin to worship God. So let's talk about worship. Now, it wasn't mentioned in Psalm 100 when we talked about this protocol. But if we back up one chapter, it's right there in Psalm 99. It says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Okay, so thanksgiving was done as I came into his presence. Worship is done in the outer courts. Praise is done in the outer courts. Worship is done at his feet. See, there's proximity here. There's intimacy here. I'm sitting at his footstool. I am learning from him. Now, all three of these are important. See, even though this is where I ultimately want to be, sitting at the footstool of God, in order to get here... I had to come through thanksgiving and praise to get here. I had to begin with a heart of gratitude for God. And that's what we see in our story here. Jesus said of this woman, he said, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So gratitude we can see for the forgiveness of her sins prompted her response, this gift she gave to God. It came out of a heart of gratitude. Now, it's interesting what Jesus said here. He said that the person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, who really has been forgiven little? I mean, the Bible tells us all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, that's a big deal. We've all been forgiven much. So then I was, as I was thinking about what Jesus said here, I realized that the person who loves little, it's because they've been forgiven little in their own mind, in their own thinking. See, relative to other people, I'm not doing so bad. I've had a pretty good life. I've been forgiven little. All right, now that's the attitude we see illustrated by Simon in this story. And in order to really see this illustration clearly, we need to pull something out of Mark's account of this same story in order to really see it. All right, so in our story, we learn that it is Simon a Pharisee who is hosting this dinner party. But what Luke doesn't tell us is that Simon the Pharisee was Simon the leper in the book of Mark. All right, now, leprosy, we know, was a horrible disease for which there was no cure. And if you had it, you were not to be socializing with people, let alone having them into your home to have a dinner party. So that would lead me to believe then, Simon must have been healed of leprosy. And who's the only one who can heal? Jesus. So then where's the gratitude? Do you know not only did Simon not offer this same level of adoration to God that the woman of our story did, he wasn't even a good host. He didn't provide Jesus any of the courtesies that you gave a guest in your home during this time and in this culture. Now, I'm just speculating here, but maybe Simon had Jesus over to his home for dinner as a form of, you know, repaying the favor. Maybe he just wanted to pay Jesus back for healing him. Whatever the case, he couldn't have really fully been grateful because he never saw Jesus as healer. Now, we would sit here and think, how, how could this be? This is crazy. But do you know there's a similar story in the book of Luke in chapter 17 where Jesus heals 10 lepers? How many came back to thank him? One. One of 10 men healed of this horrible disease came back, fell at Jesus' feet in gratitude, glorifying God, thanking him for this wonderful miracle. Uh, how is that even possible? But that's the same attitude we see here in Simon. No doubt he enjoyed the healing, but he couldn't have truly been grateful. You know, maybe he thought he deserved to be healed. I mean, if Jesus is going to go around healing people, why shouldn't it be him? He was a Pharisee, religious leader, lived a good life, certainly better than this sinner who came in with her alabaster box. But see, he never got to the place where he saw Jesus as healer. He didn't see Jesus as Lord. And we know that this is true because when the woman came in carrying her alabaster box and she offered Jesus the gratitude, the adoration that she did, Simon didn't join her, he judged her. He didn't see in Jesus what she saw in Jesus. And if you don't have a heart of gratitude, you're not going to ever worship him because you didn't even come through the doors of thanksgiving let alone get into the presence of God. All right, Jesus said that this woman was grateful for forgiveness and that her gratitude led her to love much. So then we can see that her response was simply her love in response to his love. That's what worship is. Now, Bill Johnson says that thanksgiving is our response to his works. Praise is our response to God's nature. Worship is our response to his presence. 
All right, so we have all been invited to come into the presence of God whenever we want to come. And uh, we've been invited to come boldly. Now, this boldness that we have been invited to have as we come into God's presence isn't natural. See, the only reason we can come with any kind of boldness is because our five senses haven't yet gotten in on the glory that is in the throne room of God. Now, glory is another difficult word to define. The best, most simple way that I could state it is that glory is the manifested presence of God. See, when we come into God's presence, we don't always feel something. But when you experience his glory, somehow his presence is made manifest to us. We can see it, we can feel it, uh, we can sense it. Maybe he does a miracle. Uh, There's a weight to glory that the Bible speaks of. Paul referenced it. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul said, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So you can feel it. The Bible also tells us that there is a beauty in holiness. Psalm 29.2, Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God's holiness is beautiful. You know, the book of Revelation gives us a description. The Apostle John visited the throne room of God and gives us a description of what he saw there. Let's look at that in Revelation chapter 4. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Do you know God is so pure, he is so perfect, that one holy isn't enough to describe him. These four living creatures in the throne room of God, they're called the seraphim, they proclaim God's holiness constantly, day and night. And as they do, these these elders who sit around the throne, they respond in worship. And what did they say? You are worthy. See, you're deserving of this. All of this worship, this is, you're worthy of this, they say to him. Now, when you experience this the way John did, when you have some kind of encounter with the glory of God, with the weight of glory, with the beauty of God's holiness, there is a definite response, and it isn't trivial. Okay, we're going to look at some examples of it from the word of God. Let's begin with Moses. Moses saw the glory of the Lord. And his reaction in Exodus 34 was that he made haste, he bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. Isaiah, Isaiah stood in that very throne room we just described. He saw uh, the seraphim. He saw the 24 elders. He heard the cries of holy, holy, holy. What was his reaction? Isaiah chapter 6. So I said, woe is me for I am undone. 
because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then verse 8, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. So in the presence of holy God, Isaiah became very aware of his own unworthiness in comparison to the holiness of God. And his response of worship was to give his life. This is a complete surrender we talked about. He said, I'm here, I'll go, send me. That's a response of worship. Ezekiel. Do you know Ezekiel had many encounters with God? It seemed like Ezekiel was constantly falling on his face before the Lord. And then let's uh, go back to John. John, the apostle John, was very close to Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, John was very close to him. He was the one who leaned on Jesus during the Last Supper. They were very familiar with each other. But what was his reaction when he saw Jesus in all of his glory? Revelation 1.17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So the reaction to seeing the glory of God seems to be that one just falls on one's face before the Lord in holy fear and worships. There isn't any indication that there's ever been anyone who didn't respond this way. See, we don't read of anyone who stood in the presence of Almighty God and said, this is pretty cool. Right? No one, none of them stood there and wondered, I wonder if now might be appropriate for me to worship God. No, they just, they just did. It was a natural response. Every cell in their bodies responded to the holiness of God. Let's look at Psalm 29.9. It says, in his temple, everyone shouts, glory. And yet, this is the atmosphere to which you and I have invited to come with boldness. And we can only come with this boldness, again, because we come by faith. And some, you know, someday we, we're going to experience, we're going to experience the glory of God. And that's gonna, it's going to be wonderful because we'll never again struggle to worship. See, in that time, faith will be sight. Worship will just be easy. But we know from the word that faith is what pleases God. So that makes this time right now, this little slice of time for all of eternity, where you and I get to come to God and offer him our worship by faith. See, one day every knee is going to bow. One day every tongue is going to confess, just like we just read. It's just going to happen naturally. But you and I have the honor and the privilege of choosing to worship God. We get to choose to honor him this way. Let's talk about quickly some ways that we do this, some things to keep in mind as we desire to live a life of worship. The first is that we worship, worship with your whole self. Now, Jesus said this woman in our story loved much, so she gave much. She gave much. See, her offering of worship cost her something. And it wasn't just the price of the oil in the alabaster box. Do you know she entered a room where her reputation was maligned? I mean, her past sins, they were on the minds of all of the people in that room. Those religious leaders were judging her. But she had something to offer Jesus. And she was willing to give it to him at any cost. 
didn't matter what it cost her. You know, we go often to Romans 12.1 here in Sisterhood, and we're going to go there again. Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all of the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Now, Jesus tells us in God's word that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And here, Paul is saying that spiritual worship is to give your life as a sacrifice to God. And he didn't just say, you know, give your life as a sacrifice. He said, look, this is intelligent. This is an intelligent response. It's rational. In other words, when you know God, when you know his mercies, he said in view of all of God's mercies, which we began with, we thank God for those mercies, When you know his mercies, giving him your life as a holy sacrifice, it just makes sense. It's the intelligent thing to do. So then, if I am reluctant to surrender my life to God, it's because I don't know him. Not like I should. So then what do I need to do? We don't want to get in guilt about that. We just want to spend some time first here thanking him. Notice those mercies. Spend some time recognizing what God has already done in your life and allow that gratitude for those blessings to move you into a place of understanding. This is who God is. He did what he did because he is who he is. He is good. He is love. And see, as you begin to do this, as you begin to recognize what God did and who God is, this is just natural, intelligent response. It just makes sense. Why wouldn't you want to give your life to such a good God? Let's go back to Bill Johnson. He said, in thanksgiving and praise, what we say or do is the offering, but in worship, I am the offering. See, I'm giving him myself, my life. Jesus said in Mark 12, 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, all right? We defined worship as extreme submission and extravagant love. Paul told us about the extreme submission. He said, give me your whole life. Jesus speaking is speaking here of extravagant love. Love God with your whole heart. Love him with your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect. Love him with all the strength that you have. In other words, worship of the Lord is to love him with your whole self. You're fully devoted you're wholly submitted to him. And, and really, that's, that's kind of the, the summary, I guess, of, of this whole part here. When you're offering to, what you're doing when you worship is you're offering you to God. You're giving you to him an expression of, of just pure love, of devotion. All right, another thing that we can keep in mind as we pursue a life of worship, is that we are to give God the glory that is due his name. Now let's go back to Psalm 29, which says, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Now this word ascribe means to assign, to credit, to attribute, to impute. So we are to ascribe 
to the Lord. Give him the glory that is due his name. Now, we know God by many names, and I've given you along with your handout a sheet that lists, listen, some of the names of God. Front and back side of that paper. Listen, they're not all there. This is an abbreviated list. Now, when we talk about worshiping and giving him the glory, do his name, it's each of those names, not just all of them lumped together. God is worthy of glory for being each one of those things. So he's powerful. He's wisdom. He's provider. God is shepherd. He is love. He is faithful and true. He is mighty God. And if you give God the glory that is due his name, then what you're doing is placing value on him for how he is represented by that name. See, you're crediting him as being worthy of that title, worthy of that name. Now, how do you do that? Well, if you consider a person to be wise, don't you listen and follow their instructions. If you credit someone with strength, you don't hesitate to lean on that person. If you believe and credit someone as being faithful, you will trust that person and you will believe what they tell you. So, you know, if you say God is great, but then you don't treat God like he's great, you're just saying words. True worship, it comes from a place that is sincere and it's honest and it, it means what it says to the point of acting on it. So then my actions begin to worship God. Do you see, trusting God is an expression of worship. Um, surrendering to him, that's an expression of worship. Serving him, obeying him. These are ways that we can use our lives to express our worship to God, where we, we live as though he's worthy of the name that we know him by. He's worthy of the glory that is due to his name. Now, Jesus told us that the Father is seeking worshipers. He said this in John 4, 23, which says, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So Jesus said here, the Father is looking for worshipers. And he found one when this woman entered this room carrying this box. He's found in her a worshiper. Jesus told us why she came in Mark's account of this story. Mark 14, 8 through 9, Jesus said, she came beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. All right, so Jesus is about to go to the cross. And of all the people alive at that time that he could have chosen to give this honor of anointing his son before he went to the cross. He chose this woman, a sinner. Why? Because he wasn't looking for perfection. He was looking for a worshiper. See, Jesus doesn't tell us that God looks for worship. Jesus said God looks for worshipers. And then what does he do when he finds one? He blesses them. What, what value are, are you currently putting on God with your life? If you were holding an alabaster box, what might be in that box? 
See, God's looking for worshipers, even now. He's looking in this room for worshipers. Is that what he finds when he looks at you? Is that where your heart is? And if it isn't, again, don't beat yourself up. Just come here. Begin to thank God. All right, now that's actually what I would like us to do as we close today. I want us to respond to what we just talked about and in a specific way. I, we're just going to take a minute to do this. I don't want to take a lot of your time with your tables. But I'm just going to give you some, some quiet time, maybe a minute or so. And what I want you to do is, even right now, begin to bring to mind something that you have to be grateful for, thankful for. Now, most of us would say there are many things. Just pick one. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a small thing. And as we go into this time, I just want you to begin to focus on that thing. Thank God for it. Just offer him some gratitude for that blessing in your life. Allow that to move you into an understanding of who God is. What does that blessing tell you about God's nature? And then begin, begin to celebrate that that is true of God. Begin to praise him. Just quietly, just do this. It's just between you and the Lord. And then, last of all, somehow respond to him. Give him some worship, a little bit of something in your heart. Uh, give him some devotion because of what he has done and because of who he is. All right, we're just going to spend a minute doing this, and then I'm going to close this in prayer.